Oh man, we're going to have fun in a little Bible series over Advent called God Came Down. So who needs a Bible? Got some in the back. If you just raise your hand, we'll bring one to you. We want you in God's Word, reading God's Word. If you want, you can keep it and uh, just be reading it because God speaks through His Word. I, I was just so impressed with our missionaries to think that we've participated with them and they have worked hard you know, he, has, he didn't go into it today, but Deepak has developed four levels of leaders. The first is you come to Christ and then you come to the training. The second is you go and you win people to Christ and plant a church. <laughs> the third is you start, and you don't come back for more training till you've accomplished, you know, until you've done it, not just till you've studied it, you've actually done it. So you go plant your church. Um, and then by the fourth level, when you come back for the level of training then, you're bringing two people with you who've already started their own churches that, that you have recruited. And so it's this multiplication. Well, the fact that our gifts so far to them have uh, helped to create over 75 house churches where people are gathering on a regular basis to worship the Lord is just tremendous. And so if you want to give an extra gift, I would commend that. I mean, it might be the best thing that you do all Christmas uh, as far as gifts because it certainly will have the most eternal consequence. So we're in this series, God Came Down, and today we're looking at God Came Down in Time. And you think of the song we just sang, Joy to the World, the Lord Has Come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing. And you know, anybody know who wrote that? Isaac Watts was his name. Isaac Watts. And uh, he captured the essence of what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks to celebrate Christ in Christmas this year. You know, he was born in 1674 in England. He lived to be about 74, 75 years old, became a minister, a writer, a theologian. He was born to dissenting parents. Now, lots of people in England at that time were dissenting against their government, and many of them packed up and left and headed to the New World, to America, so they could have freedom to worship God as they chose. But Isaac's parents, for reasons known only to them, I guess, chose to stay in England, where they were discriminated against because they were identified as a dissenting family. So his dad even served two different prison terms just for his beliefs. So young Isaac, who was pretty good at putting together poems and, and songs, well, he'd go sit outside the prison as a boy, and he would ring or read or sing some of his work loud enough for his father inside to hear and be encouraged. Now, that must have been a real treat for the rest of the prisoners. <laughs> but anyway, um, he was um, growing into the gifts that God had given him. And in his day, when they would sing in church like we do, um, they they would sing directly out of the book of Psalms. Whoever wrote the, you know, the music would put it to the, to the words from one of the Psalms. And uh, Isaac was kind of a dissenter there too because he began to write songs that were paraphrased from the words, not just the actual words from Scripture. And he also believed, and this was kind of radical for his day, he believed that you, you were to read the Old Testament through the, through the lens of Christ and his completed work in the New Testament. So you didn't just sing from the Old Testament. I mean, he thought, for instance, that you actually are better informed in what God is doing in this world than King David. And King David wrote most of the Psalms. I mean, think about it. You, after all, you know, you have the advantage of knowing Jesus and you know about the cross, and you know about the resurrection, and you know about the church, and you know about the New Testament, and so you have so many advantages. King David didn't know about any of that. Well, 
Isaac's ideas weren't all that well received. And, you know, it seems like every generation, including yours, by the way, in, in the history of the church, messes with the music. Right? You think they're just doing that now, but you did it too. Right? And uh, so that's why in our church we have varying styles. We kind of, we have, you know, traditional style with choir and organ. We have contemporary with drums and guitar. And then we have, if it's too loud, you're too old for the youth. And... Um, <laughs> So, so we have uh, trying to accommodate different styles. But uh, um, Isaac Watts wrote a lot of hymns that it's kind of a testament to him that they have survived to this day. I mean, I sing the mighty power of God. That's one of his. Or alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? Or when I survey the wondrous cross. Or at the cross, at the cross, where I... You recognizing any of these? I, okay, good. Or, good. or Jesus shall reign where... I'm not done, Joe. i got plenty more of these. <laughs> We're marching to Zion. Maybe they should ask me to do a solo sometime. Oh, God, our help in ages past. Of course, his most famous was... Come on, joy to the world. That's the one we're talking about today. Joy to the world. And so most of his music became popular after he died. You know, and he didn't really even write joy to the world as a Christmas song. He was just praising the Lord. In fact, it's, it's based out of Psalm 98. So if you want to look there, I'm going to look at a few verses. But most of his music became, like I said, became popular after he died and was gone. So he missed out on a lot of the fun of it. But Here's what was the, the foundation for writing the song. In Psalm 98, it says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he's done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He's revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He's remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Well, David, when he first wrote this psalm, was reflecting, of course, on the Exodus event in the lives of the people of Israel, where for 400 years, God's people were living under the oppression of the Egyptians and the pharaohs, suffocated in their work and in their worship, in their families, in their fun, and God came down to set them free. But along comes Isaac Watts, and he says, we have celebrating to do too, because God hasn't forgotten his people. He sent Jesus, that God came down once again, not to set us free from slavery in Egypt, but to set us free from the bondage of sin, that Jesus would ultimately redeem us from the greatest bondage, sin. So let your joy out, because God is in love with this world. I mean, you look at the book, uh, uh, the Bible, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. King David picked that up, Psalm 24. The earth is Lord's and everything in it all belongs to him. God is in love with this world and he's the owner. And even in our dysfunction and sin, God has not relinquished title to this world. It's still his. And so he's sending Jesus into the world saying, I'm the owner. I care about that world. I have not abandoned them. I've gave them free choice. And I'm still working on their behalf. And God redeems you from your curse, the curse of sin in your life. He's offered us the ultimate gift, freedom from oppression, freedom from sin, and Jesus Christ come alive in our hearts by his Spirit. So to talk about Christmas is to talk about an event that actually occurred in human history about 2,000 years ago. 
But did you ever wonder why? I mean, why did it happen then? Why did it happen that way? What does it matter to us? I mean, but Christmas is being celebrated by 160 nations. I mean, it is a monumental event. It was a monumental event. It's just the birth of a baby, but yes, but that baby was fully human and fully God at the same time. You know, that's why we have so many Christmas Eve services, because more people seem open to an invitation to come and to hear about Christ at Christmas than any other time in the world. And uh, so we did a little research, so that's where we actually moved the times a little sooner so that we can avoid dinner time um, as much as we can and in, get as many people here to hear about Jesus. So help me. Invite somebody. Bring them with you. Christmas Eve service. It'll be a lot of fun singing uh, carols and hearing the stories and lighting the candles and, and thanking God for what He's done. So... I'm wanting in this series for people to see that Christmas was real, and it was historical, and it was necessary, and it's incredibly important and relevant for us today because God came down in time, and it brought joy to the world. So when you look at God with timing, God's timing is perfect. God has perfect timing. He's never late. A key verse what we're looking at here is Galatians 4.4, 4, which if you want to turn to it, it'll be on the screen. Galatians 4.4 4 says, but when the fullness of time had come. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in the fullness of time. In Greek, there are two words for time. There is kairos time, which means opportune time. That's an opportunity just came by in time, and you say, whoop, I'm going to take that. You know, there was a time in 2013 when we got a call from a church in San Juan. We were in Dana Point, and they said, we want to join together. We want to be one church together. We want to give you all our property, our problems, our books, our budget, our, our people, everything. Let's get the two churches married. It was an opportunity we hadn't seen coming. God was in it. And so we joined together. It's been a blessing to everybody from what I can tell. Then there was a time in 2018 where the school that's here on the same property wrote us a letter and said, we want to talk to you about purchasing your campus. Now, that's why we're having a special meeting today at 1230. I hope that you're here and get to vote because we're looking to say, is God in this? And uh, this school that was born right on this campus and has been here its 45 years, how do we help it flourish and how do we help the church flourish at the same time? So I hope that you're here. In between those two events of 2013 and 2018, God provided a place for us, South Shores, coming from Dana Point, to come and to gather and to gather together with the people that had been here in San Juan. So both of these were opportunities that just showed up in time. The other kind of time, though, in Greek is chronos, which from the we get our word chronology, an orderly sequence of events. There was a chronology. There was an order. And in Galatians 4, it says that God showed up in the fullness of time. It was chronology. God wasn't just doing an audible at the line, looking out and saying, oh my goodness, that world is in trouble. Did you know I gave them free choice and they really messed it up? And I better do something. It wasn't one of those. No, God had planned. He had premeditated the sequence of events. And when the time was just right, he sent his only son into the world because God is in control and God is love. And so God came for a visit. God showed up. In fact, in Ecclesiastes 3, it says, God has made everything beautiful in its time. Well, now think about this. God's perfect timing didn't feel perfect to everybody. 
You had Joseph, who's talked about in Matthew chapter 1. He's a young uh, craftsman, and he's just getting started, and he's just uh, gotten engaged. And then uh, God comes along and does something, and Joseph finds out that his, the virgin that he's supposed to be marrying is pregnant with somebody else's baby. And Joseph thinks, oh my goodness, that is not fair. How could she possibly do this? And he's thinking, we're going to probably have a divorce here pretty quick before we hardly got started. And fortunately for him, an angel took him to night school to give him some insight. And said to him, Joseph, this is God's doing. Let God be in charge and give God your life to let him use. And Joseph responded with obedience. He's a great example for us. God's saying, I want to use your life for my purposes. And Joseph said yes. Well, Mary's found in Luke chapter 1, and she's just this young maiden. She never saw this coming. She's engaged to Joseph. She's ready to begin life together. Angel shows up and says, you are so highly favored from God, you are going to have a baby. The Holy Spirit of God will overshadow you, and the baby that will be born will be the Son of God. And she is a woman of great integrity and faith, but she wants some details. I mean, how are you going to explain this to her mother or her father? or her friends, or Joseph, and people down in the market around town when they begin to see her show. Oh, my goodness, she's not even married yet. And then she, so she goes to her friend Elizabeth and her relative, Elizabeth and Zechariah. They're having a miracle baby, too. And Mary bursts into song, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Then you jump over to Matthew chapter 2, you have King Herod. Oh my goodness, God's timing was a nasty surprise to King Herod. What a threat to national security. Right under his nose, he had worked hard for four decades to squelch anyone who was going to threaten his throne. And now these wise men show up from the east saying, where's the one baby born king of the Jews? We've seen his star in the east. We've come to worship him. And Herod's thinking, I'm king of the Jews. No little baby is going to put a wrinkle into those plans. And Herod even used terror to try to disrupt God's plan. He did not succeed. God intervened. The little family of Joseph and Mary and Jesus escaped, and Herod died soon after that. Then you have Simeon and Anna found in Luke chapter 2. Both Simeon and Anna were senior citizens. They were old, old people who still had an active, vibrant faith. And God blessed them with promises. God came to Simeon and said, you are not going to die until you see the anointed one, until you see the Messiah. And when they play, you know, I'm guessing Simeon is in the temple every day going, where is that baby? When is that baby going to show up? Where is, when am I going to see the Messiah? What is taking so long? And finally, when they placed the little baby in his arms, he prophesied a blessing and a warning over Jesus. And Anna went and told everybody about it. See, we know God has perfect timing. And sometimes it makes the people around him uncomfortable. But God is never late. So if you've been praying for a miracle or if you've been praying and praying and praying for something in particular and you've wondered, God, what's taking you so long? Just know this. God is the master of perfect timing. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. God stepped into this world at just the right moment. He had actually planned it in advance. You know, in Genesis 1, it talks about creation, and God gave people free choice because he wasn't trying to create robots. He wants people to have a choice whether to love him or not. Now, what are the odds? What are the odds that 100% of the people, 100% of the time, will make 100% right choices? 
Zero. And God knew that. <laughs> that wasn't a surprise to God. But he still took the risk to say, I've got to give them free choice because some of them, some of the time, will make the right choice, and then I'll get to have a relationship with those who want me to. Because, want me, because you're as close to God even today as you want to be. He's not going to force himself. And in John 17, 24, Jesus is praying, and he prays, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus coming into this world was God's plan from before the foundation of the world. God exalted Jesus' name above every name because of what he sacrificed leaving heaven and what he suffered here in this world to come here and die. And he knew that he, before he ever created people and gave them free choice, he knew they would need a Savior, and he still did it. Do you know why? Because of love. He loves you that much. In fact, Ephesians 1.4 says, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Before ever God ever created the world, he had you in mind and me in mind by name. He knows everything about us and loves us still. So before the creation, before the world was formed or people were made, God had chosen us. He loves us that much. And yet, by chapter 3 of Genesis, right at the beginning of the Bible, sin has entered the world, and God makes his first promise, a Savior is coming. In Genesis 3, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you will bruise his heel. And then he makes promises that are just scattered throughout all of the Old Testament. At first it says that the, the promised offspring of Abraham, the Messiah, will come. Or then from Isaac, his son, or Jacob, his son, or Judah, his, his great-grandson. And then the, the, he will be heir to the throne of David, Isaiah told us. He would be born in Bethlehem, Micah told us. He would be, his timing would be predicted in Daniel chapter 9. He would be born of a virgin, Isaiah said. There would be a slaughter of innocence, Jeremiah told us in tears. They would escape to Egypt, Hosea told us. Jesus' ministry as a surprise would be in Galilee, primarily, not in, mostly in Jerusalem. He would be a prophet, Deuteronomy says. He'd be a priest like Melchizedek, we're told in Psalms. And then there's about 25 other promises that have to do, that Jesus fulfilled, that have to do with his rejection by the Jews, his betrayal, his trial, his abuse, his death, and his resurrection. God's timing was intentional. His, he came into this world, and this event was to bring salvation to the people God loves because we matter to God. Now, you know, Cindy and I went on vacation a couple of months ago, went to Hawaii, and we suffered for Jesus there for a week. And <laughs> we would get up in the morning and say, hey, what are we going to do today? And we always knew the lines. The other person would say, oh, I don't know. What do you want to do? And so we always did the same thing. We always, you know, got up in the morning, and not on purpose, just it just, it just kind of flowed. You know, you, you got up, which was a big deal, and then you ate breakfast, and then you looked out the windows. You thought about going outside. You finally said, we must go outside. Got outside for a little bit, and then came home, had something to eat, and then you start over. <laughs> right? Now, it was just kind of free-flowing without a plan, and it was nice. But when I went about romancing Cindy, I was much more intentional than that. Every detail, I wanted to ask her, would you marry me, as a surprise. And the surprise was she said yes. But the, uh, 
But I wanted to ask her parents' blessing and permission first, but I didn't want them to blab that to her. So I waited. We were long distance. They were in Iowa. So she came out from Iowa, and um, uh, I waited to, we were going to go out to a party. So I waited for her to go into the bathroom to get ready. She's in the shower. Then I called her parents, and they gave me their blessing. And then we, I made, kept her away from the phone and went out to the party. Then we went to the little church where I was serving. I had a candle on the piano all prepared. I clonk out this love song, made a couple mistakes. And then I said, will you marry me? Now, you know, after seven seconds, uh, silence gets uncomfortable. Somebody's supposed to say something. <laughs> she didn't, uh, but we went that way a minute, two minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes, 25 minutes of dead silence. We hear click. She goes, what's that? I said, I was trying to record this moment. <laughs> I recorded 25 minutes of dead silence. We went back to silence. I'm not exaggerating. After three hours into the dark of the night, the candle's just about to go out. She goes, yes. <laughs> I said, what took so long? She said, well, I was savoring the moment. <laughs> savoring the moment. I'm dying. She's savoring the moment. You know, and I had everything exactly planned. And I said, really? She says, well, I wanted to be sure that my parents gave their blessing. I said, oh, I called them. I asked them. She said, well, why didn't you say that? I said, why didn't you ask? I didn't know that was a big deal. You know what I'm saying? And so then I, I, I had a diamond, and I had a quartz, and it was cut in half. And so I had this little diamond in on there on a little felt. I said, no, this is a good time to give a girl a rock. And I gave her this quartz. And in the candlelight, she couldn't see that the diamond was in there. So she puts the two pieces together, and she's rattling around like this. Ah! wait a minute, that's, that's my entire life savings rattling around in that little rock. Wait a minute. Because I wanted, I was already planned with the jeweler in the morning. We'd show up at 10 and we would bring the rock and she would pick out her own setting and by Sunday, and then we would get it Saturday night. So Sunday when we're announcing at church, we're engaged, she already has her ring. All the little details were exactly in place because it was important to me that we did everything exactly right. Now, you know, it doesn't even compare, but God was the same way when he sent Christ into this world. All the details he wanted us to know. He wanted us to be sure that this wasn't an accident, that he was planning it. God had planned every moment in advance and gave us all these clues in the Old Testament because he just wanted us to know his timing is intentional and it was also perfect. God's timing's perfect in the life of Christ. There's a historian named Paul Meyer, and he wrote a book, In the Fullness of Time. And here's what he said. God had a good sense of timing since conditions prevailing in the Mediterranean world could not have been more favorable for the spread of Christianity when Jesus was born. The Old Testament had predicted the birth of a Messiah for centuries. The Greeks had given the world a universal language through which Jesus' message could spread easily and quickly. The Roman Empire had organized the whole Mediterranean basin into one vast communication network, almost perfectly geared to foster the spread of Christianity. Now, I got thinking about this. God was in charge, and any time Christ showed up would have been the perfect time. Wouldn't you agree? And we can only look back at it and say, that was a perfect time. I mean, they had Greek, which was an easy language, and everybody around the world was speaking it. And so the gospel was communicated to so many different groups all at once. 
that way. Of course, Greek has kind of gone out of style for most of us, and most now English would be that language. And then you had the Romans that got the roads and the, uh, the, the uh, civilization and had order and structure. And, uh, of course, now they've kind of gone out of style, and now you name dogs Nero and, uh, you know, Little Caesar's Pizza and those kind of things. And they don't really tug at our hearts. So they just, they're just kind of fun, and, and God is using other things. But in the fullness of time the first Christian Christmas happened. And I want us to look in Luke chapter 2 to see some of the particulars. So if you want to turn there in your Bible with me, Luke chapter 2. It says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. Now he's way off in Rome. He's the Caesar. That all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own hometown. So Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was great with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and she laid him in the manger, because there was no room for them in the inn." I don't know if you noticed here in the story, did you see that God used a pagan government, he used a pagan emperor, he used a pagan decree to get Mary and Joseph to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem just in time for Jesus to be born that way, just the way the prophet Micah had said five or six or seven hundred years earlier. And God couldn't wait to tell the news. God came down on a particular night to a particular group. Look at the next verse, verse 8. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the fields keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. And the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be to all the people. Now, there's a little blog that happens that I recommend to you. His name is Albert Moeller. And it's called The Briefing. So if you want to write that down and check it out, Albert Moeller, M-O-H-L-E-R, The Briefing. He's president of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. And he puts out this blog, which is a daily analysis of news and events from a Christian worldview. And it takes on different, all different kinds of things. And so this week he commented on an article from the religious news service titled, A TV God for the Age of Anxiety. He was kind of what brought this to a head was the CBS uh, uh, program, God Friended Me. I don't know if some of you have seen it, but it's about an atheist that God friends on Facebook. And um, actually, they felt like gave God a fair shake. And so it got such positive reviews that um, they've expanded it into not just a, a movie, uh, but a whole season. And so they began this, in this article in the Religious News Service. They talked to a professor of religion and communication from Illiff School of Theology in Denver, which is quite a liberal school. And the professor was Dr. Jeffrey Mahan. And so here's what Mahan said. He said, TV shows that depict the divine supernatural intervention are comfort, the genre says. God is in his heaven. All's right with the world. God is attentive. God is jerking people back from the front of the subway train. God has a partner for you. Now, the professor goes on to explain he doesn't really admire that kind of story. He really would rather a storyline be, you know, God's not all that powerful and can't always do everything right, but still people muddle through and they manage. But Moeller says, what does this tell us? He said, it, 
and I'm going to quote him. He says, it tells us that human beings have an innate need for and a knowledge of and a depiction of a God who actually is in charge of the universe, a God who indeed intervenes in human history. The one true and living God revealed in Scripture is, of course, a sovereign, omnipotent deity. That's what's so important to the biblical worldview. We start with the understanding of a self-existent, all-powerful God. And as Scripture makes clear, God intervenes in human history. The entire storyline of the Bible is of God's intervention in human history and the very history he created and over which he rules. And he says it raises an interesting question. The liberals' point of view of, well, we wish you know, that God wasn't seen as so all-powerful and intentional and that people are, are anxious and living with fear. He says the question is, when have human beings ever supposed to have lived in a time without anxiety? Never. That's Ty's answer. In every generation, there's been a clear and present sense of anxiety. So these shepherds are out in the field. They're just doing their job, and God is, is coming to bring good news of great joy, and God's messengers are showing up in the sky, scaring the bejeebers out of the shepherds. That's normal because we all deal with fear. And perfect love casts out fear, and our love is not always perfect, and sin has muddied the water. And God comes down with great news. He has a plan to provide a way for us to escape from our sin, our sin to be forgiven, our relationship with God to be restored. And so they speak from the sky and say, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. See, God has perfect timing in your life and mine, and we're really represented in this story by the shepherds. They're us. Here they are doing their work, just going about their business, their humdum every day or every night business, tending sheep. It's a boring job. It's a filthy job. It has long hours. It has no respect. In fact, in Jesus' day, it was against the law for a, a shepherd to testify in court at all because they were all considered filthy liars. And raising sheep was a tough work, and the Jews were still practicing a sacrificial system, so they needed fresh lambs that could be purchased for sacrifice when you got to the temple. So where do you buy a one-year-old lamb that has no spot or blemish? And where do you grow one of those? Probably in Bethlehem. These shepherds are tending sheep that are going to be the sacrifice. And God has to tell somebody his good news, so he picks out some nobodies. I mean, think about it. Can you imagine answering your phone? <laughs> well, not that, but can you imagine actually answering your phone and the, and the person on the other end says, this is the president of the United States. And you go, <laughs> who's joking with me? Say, no, no, really is. And you're convinced he, he, you really are talking to the president. The president says, I want to have lunch with you. Say, you do? Oh, my goodness. Where? When? What will I wear? Do I have to go to Washington, D.C.? Should I wear red or will it make me look too much like a Christmas tree in the White House? You know, what am I going to do? But the president says, no, 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 don't worry about it. I will come meet you in Dana Point. In fact, let's eat at Taco Bell on PCH. <laughs> then you'd really go, now, who is this really? Because presidents don't come to you. You go to them. And presidents don't eat at Taco Bell. They eat fancy. And but that's the thing, God came down. He came to you because he's hopelessly in love with you. And that's why we celebrate him. 
He could have chosen any moment he wanted to come down to earth, but he chose 2,000 years ago. God came down in time. So what did the shepherds do? Well, they were filled with fear, but God got them over that. They received the news, a Savior's been born. They, they observed the heavenly response of all of the angels, and then they went to see for themselves, and they joined into the joy, and then they told everybody they could about it. Well, we're still celebrating his love today. In fact, Jesus told us, and so we're going to celebrate at his table. Pastor Micah is going to come lead us because he, he showed his love by giving his life. And uh, we're going to remember that today out of respect for what he said. Let's pause and pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for your action in this world that makes such a huge difference in our life and in our future. Thank you that you came down at a particular time to a particular place to do a particular job, and you accomplished it. And from that, we received so much benefit. Now be working in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.